Thank you, Lord. I want to encourage you to stay in this place, as it were, just with your hearts inclined to the Lord as we get into the Word. Uh, there are some things I'm going to be sharing today, and I was going to say this a little later, but, but don't go hunting for things in your heart to deal with. If the Lord is not bringing it to the surface, there is not his grace to deal with it. And you'll kind of get what I'm saying in a few moments. But the Spirit of God is present to to deal with things in the right time and in the right season. And to that end, the Spirit of God often begins to stir stuff up in our hearts. He brings them to the forefront of our minds, sometimes during worship, sometimes during preaching. And it's important that we, the most important thing we can do on a Sunday is to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Because when the Holy Spirit begins to stir things in our hearts, it means that there is His grace to deal with that situation today. Now, at the end, we often set aside time for ministry, and we will again today set aside time for ministry. And that's a good time to respond. But you don't have to wait for the ministry to respond to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can deal with our hearts during worship. The Holy Spirit can deal with our hearts during, during preaching, during the kids having fun, whatever, whenever, as you're walking to work. The point is be listening to the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit. When I was uh, 13 years old, I was attacked and mugged by two older men. And uh, it was an incredibly traumatic season and time in my life. I was, uh, a knife was held to my throat and I was threatened with my life. And for about 13 or 14 years after that, I lived with the incredible consequences of that trauma that I experienced. Some of the ways that it used to manifest, I had this morbid fascination with crime stories in our city. And I would read the local newspapers and, and read these crime stories. And all it did was it, it raised this conviction in me that it was just a matter of time before I would be a victim again. Um, I was very jumpy. Whenever anyone approached me from behind, I would get a, a, a massive fright. My heart would literally leap out of my chest. And one of the biggest areas that I struggled with was I had an incredible fear of strangers to the point, when I, to the point of, of if I was walking along the sidewalk and someone approached me, a stranger approached me, I would literally cross the road to the other side in order to avoid walking past a stranger. The long and the short of it was I was bound by fear. Because of an event that happened in my past, I was living for 13, 14 years with incredible fear in my heart. Until a few years after I, had no, I came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the only way I can describe that was, the, the, the freedom that I found was I, I literally encountered the river of God's grace and mercy. It was literally like a, a flood, like a river was let loose in my heart. And I was able, by the grace of God, not in my own strength, but by the grace of God, I was able to extend forgiveness to those two guys who had um, attacked me. I've been bound, and I'm now free. And I want to say, freedom is way better. Freedom is way better. Some of you sitting here might not have been through something as tragic or as traumatic as as what I went through. Some of you, unfortunately, may have been through something far worse. And when I mention my story, you know exactly what it's like to, 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 to know that you've been through an event and how that event can, can cast a shadow over our present lives. 
But I'm sure every one of us here agrees to, to some extent that, that hurts and, and fear and failure from the past can do exactly that. It can, it can cast a shadow and it can bind us up as we try to live out our lives in the present and into the future. Maybe some of you are sitting here, haven't been through something traumatic, but maybe you've been through a, a relationship which is broken and it's left you hurt and, and, and with pain. Maybe some of you have gone through a, a financial crisis or a, a job loss perhaps, and, and it's left you anxious and worried that, that it might happen again sometime in the future. Maybe some of you at times have, have stepped out in faith trusting that it was the prompting of the Lord to begin to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and, and, and God maybe hasn't come through for you as you had hoped. Maybe some of you here are holding on to areas of known sin, areas of known disobedience to the will of the Lord and you're living with the, the consequence of, of guilt and shame. And, and can I just say, we, we'll get to this, but guilt and shame are not from God. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to deal with those things from our past. Because when we deal with those things from our past, if we, well, I'll put it this way. If we don't deal with those things from our past, it can actually hold us back from pressing into everything that God has for us going forward. Whether you are here today as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus or not, this I know God wants every single one of us to be free. And the good news is, is that Jesus has the power to do exactly that. Galatians 5 tells us it was for freedom's sake. It was so that we could live a free life that Christ came to set us free. And we're going to look at a story at the account of Moses in Exodus chapter 4, a man who struggled to let go of his past. And God had to deal with him. God had to intervene in order for him to, to put aside the fear and the failure and the hurt from the past in order that he could step into the plans and purposes that God had for him. And I think there's much that we can learn from that going forward. So let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 4. We are in a series uh, through the book of Exodus, the series entitled Into His Glory uh, the story of Exodus. And we've said this before, but just a quick recap. The story of, of Exodus is the story of Moses, this man, this deliverer, this rescuer that God had raised up uh, 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 from a fa this, It's the story, in essence, of this failed leader transitioning into the friend of God. The story of Exodus is also the story of God's people. This people that are, that are bound, this people that are oppressed, but eventually are rescued out of Egypt as this holy nation. And in Exodus 19, it says, it, God describes them as his treasured possession. I absolutely love that description of God's people. You and I are part of God's people and we are his treasured possession. But more than Moses, yes, amen, more than Moses and more than Israel, the story of Exodus is the story about God himself, the God who is always with us, the God who will never leave us nor forsake us, the God who makes himself known to his people, the God who, who manifests his nearness and his presence, the God who, 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 who displays his glory to the nations. 
And we started our journey in Exodus, um, looking at Exodus chapter 1 and 2. Uh, we, we quickly, briefly looked at how, how God's plan was through his chosen people, through the descendants of Abraham, through this faith family, which, by the way, you and I as believers in Jesus are part of this faith family. Through this family, this faith family, God, God's intent is and was to bless the nations. But in the face of incredible opposition, it was hard to see how God was going to do exactly that. Except for a, for a few people, Moses' parents in particular, who, who were determined to live by faith. They stood on the promises of God. They believed that God was faithful to fulfill what he had promised. And we learned this truth, that when we, when we do things by faith, no matter how big or how small, we, we break into a realm, we break into a, a way of living where the kingdom of God becomes the greater reality than what we see with our eyes and what we hear with our ears here on earth. This word will come through in a little while, not because I'm super prophetic, but because Colleen tapped me on the shoulder and she said she wanted to share it. But she came and she said, I feel like God is saying we are a people more of the kingdom than of the world. That's in essence, I think, what you were saying, and I'll let you say, say it in more detail later. But that is so true, friends. When we live by faith, we realize that we are not of this world. We are of the kingdom. We are kingdom people. Where Jesus and his truth and his word is the greater reality. Last week, James did an outstanding job of teaching out of Exodus chapter 3. The, 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 the journey that Moses went on, which describes the journey that God takes, on, takes us on as he, as he cro- specifically and uniquely and personally crafts and shapes us. And then, and then calls us, not to a task, but calls us to himself, calls us into intimacy and closeness. And then commissions us to go and do his work, and the promise is that he will always be with us. And then if that wasn't enough, then, then God as well shows us what it's going to look like when you and I walk out in obedience with him. We get a sense of his prophetic promises. I want to say this in case I forget it to say, to say it later. God calls us not on the basis of our past, but on the basis of his prophetic future for our lives. Every single one of us sitting here, friends, God has a prophetic future, a blessed future, a plan and a purpose for your lives. And he wants to reveal that to us as we walk in closeness and nearness with him. These are questions we've been asking a lot as a church. Who are you? Or I could phrase it, whose are you? Have you settled the reality of what it means to be in Christ? Where are you? Where has God planted you? Where has God placed you? In the community, in the neighborhood, in, a, in, your, in your circle of friends. Where has God placed you to, br- to bring the love and the, and the power of Jesus? And what has God given you? What do you have? What, is, what dreams and, and gifts and passions and desires and hopes and resources has God entrusted to you to use for the advancing of his kingdom? These are the things that we have been exploring as a church. Can, can, can I just say this? Friends, cut yourself some slack. God has a history of choosing on the surface incompetent people. So cut yourself some slack. Every one of us has a calling in God. 
Don't think that you've got to be perfect in order for God to use you. God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. He's looking for a people who will say yes to him. And on this journey of saying yes to him, God begins to shape and fashion his son Jesus into our hearts. He doesn't deal with us and get us perfect before he starts to use us. And we discover this thing together. We discover this calling and this destiny together as a church family. I said this a few weeks ago, but, but Paul writes about the church being a body. And a body is not just made up of eyes or just ears or just noses. But as we, as we discover the unique gifting that God has for each of us, noses begin to form and eyes begin to form and ears begin to form. And the best ear isn't in the context of living amongst other ears. Ears work best around eyes and noses and mouths and hair and, and arms and legs. We find the fullness of who we are in the diversity of a, of a body gifted differently. That's God's heart and God's plan. So Exodus chapter three ends with, with Moses growing in, in his understanding of, of God's crafting and God's calling and God's commissioning. And, and the last few verses of Exodus chapter three talk about how, how God shows Moses what it's gonna look like if he follows closely. And Exodus chapter three ends with these words, which summarize this great vision and picture that God has given Moses. And so you will plunder Egypt. Above all else, Moses has encountered the living God. And so with that in mind, it's rather surprising how Exodus chapter four starts. Let's look at Exodus 4.1. Moses answered, so just picture this, an encounter with God, great vision, great picture of what it's going to look like if you follow me, Moses. Moses answered, what if they, what if the Israelites, what if the people of God do not believe me or, not, or, or listen to me or they say to me, the Lord did not appear to you? You see, what, what, what Moses is saying is like, he's saying, Lord, I, I've tried this deliverer thing before. I've tried to be a rescuer before, Lord, and it failed miserably. 40 years ago, I stepped out in faith. I stepped out in response to what I thought you had put on my heart to do. I disassociated myself from, from the riches and the comforts of Egypt, and I identified with your people, with my people, the people of God. Moses saw a, a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian and he, and he stepped in in response to what he thought God was prompting him to do. He killed that Egyptian to set the Hebrew free. And you know what? It probably felt good and right. As James spoke last week, James taught us that last week. And he assumed, Moses thought that at that time, Israel would rise up and say, praise God, Moses has been sent to deliver us. But they didn't. They turned around and said to Moses, who are you to think that you can come and rescue us? Who are you that we should follow you? And what did Moses do? He fled and he ran away from the purposes of God. And for 40 years, every day he would wake up and he would walk around a mountain tending a few of his father-in-law's sheep. And he would play that story over and over again. And I'm pretty sure that ringing in his ears, as if it was said yesterday, were those words, who are you to think that you have come to deliver us? Friends, all of us 
can look back on the past. And we all know what it's like to fail. And we all know what it's like to fall short. And we all know what it's like to make mistakes. And we all know what it's like to mess up. I used a couple of examples earlier, but I'm sure all of us know, know that. Maybe, maybe at, at times you've, you've found the courage in God to step out and to share the love of Jesus with someone at work, only for them to, to kind of push you away and eventually label you as that religious freak or that religious nut. Maybe you responded to God's call of leadership. The first time Debs and I ever responded to leadership was 20 or 25 years ago. We were... No, not that, not that long, maybe 20 years ago. We, we responded to, to the opportunity to lead a connect group. And we were given 20 people. And within six months, we had grown the connect group down to one. That was our first foray into leadership. So we're starting a connect group on Wednesday. And I know a number of you have already said you're coming. So uh, this is literally the, 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 the next connect group we've ever led. So... Just, just go easy on us as a, as a group. But, but we know what it's like to step out in leadership and to fall flat on our faces. Maybe you tried tithing in response to God's challenge, but you stopped at the first hurdle. Maybe you prayed for someone who was sick and they weren't healed. Or maybe you had a prophetic word for someone and you fumbled over the words and it, was, it just fell flat. I want to say, friends, God today, I believe wants to set us free from past failure. God wants to set us free from past failure. But he also wants to set us free from the possibility of future disappointment. You see, what happens is when we, when we, when we take a risk in the name of the Lord, as it were, Sometimes if we're not careful, a seed of, of resentment or disappointment begins to take root in our hearts. Lord, if I trusted you then and it didn't work out, how do I know I can trust you into the future? Lord, you've promised this to me then and it didn't work out like I had hoped. How can I know to trust you into the future? So God, I believe God today not only wants to set us free from past failure, but he wants to set us free from future disappointment or the fear of future disappointment. When I read these words that Moses spoke in, in Exodus 1, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord will not appear to you? I, I, I sense a, a hint of resentment in Moses' voice. Lord, your people, those people are the reason why I'm tending sheep and walking around a mountain for 40 days. The Bible teaches it's very important that we are aware of the danger of holding on to resentment, whether it's to other people or whether it's to God. But also, the Bible makes it very clear how to be free from that as well. Hebrews chapter 12, I think it's verse 15, says this, see to it that no bitter root grows up. Make sure that the weeds of resentment don't grow up. Uh, to cause trouble and to defile many. You see, resentment or bitterness, is, it, it can take root in our hearts if we're not careful. And when it takes root in our hearts, it begins to spoil and damage our hearts. But, but just like any plant, resentment is like, it, it will eventually produce fruit that if we're not careful, other people will start to eat and will start to defile and to damage them as well. 
But in Jesus, there is the incredible promise of forgiveness. As I said earlier, the encounter I've had, not just in that moment, but I would almost say time and time again, I've encountered the the river of God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness that flows from his throne into my heart through my relationship with Jesus Christ. But the reality is, friends, the river of forgiveness is not meant to stop in our hearts. It's meant to flow from God through my heart to other people. But often when we hold on to things, when we hold on to areas of of bitterness and resentment to others or to God, we begin to stop the flow of God's life from his throne to his people. I want to say, and Deb's mentioned it when we were singing that song about hope. And, and, and just, it's, a, it's remarkable the songs Nancy and Debs chose because I think it speaks so powerfully to what God wants to do today. But friends, in Jesus, there is hope. We don't need to be hopeless because Jesus promises us hope through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. Romans 5 says this, hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Because God has poured out his love. There's that river of God. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope. Do you see how God pours out love and hope into our hearts? But he wants that love and hope to overflow, to be a river that allows the the life of God to flow through us to others as well. Um, uh, Joy and peace so that you may trust him so that you may, uh, I'm reading that really badly. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how chains of fear are broken. God's word says, in love, there is no fear. So where do I find love? In the river of God. Every morning, every morning I wake up, sometime in the, in, in the first half an hour or 45 minutes, I will in some way either sing or say or pray something of, of these lines or verses. Lord, thank you that your steadfast love, thank you for your steadfast love, thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. If you forgave someone yesterday and that resentment rises up, I want to say, get into the river of God and find his new mercies and his steadfast love that is there every day. In verse 10, Moses carries on with his excuses and with his reasons why God, why he can't be used by God. Look at verse 10 with me. He says, pardon your servant, Lord. I love how polite Moses is. The NIV says, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Humility is a godly thing. Humility, I like to define humility as being self-forgetful. Thinking of yourself less is how C.S. Lewis defines humility. I think that's a great, a great definition of humility. Jesus 
humbled himself in Philippians chapter two, it says, I think humility is the, is the natural response to us being in the presence of God. When we are in the presence of the almighty king, our only one of our, uh, uh, surely one of the, the only responses is, is humility. God, you are great. I realize I'm not. In you I am, but outside of you I'm not. But you see, what Moses is, is, is speaking about here is not humility. He's speaking about, or he's, this is an example of false humility. We must be careful that we don't hide behind false humility as a way to disobey God. You see, if humility is thinking about ourselves less, false humility is thinking, of, thinking less of ourselves, and that is not from God. Oh Lord, why on earth are you choosing me? I have no ability. There's no way that I can do what you have called me to. Lord, I have failed miserably in these areas that, in the past, and now you would think to use me. Friends, I wanna say, God does not choose you on the basis of your ability, good or bad. The plans and purposes God has for each of you is far bigger than the best of your ability will ever be able to achieve. So do you think the worst of your ability is gonna, is gonna throw, trip God up in some way? If God is choosing you for, for, for a plan and a purpose that the best that you can bring will never be able to achieve it, why would the worst of what we have trip God up? God, as I said earlier, is not looking for ability. He's not looking for those who are gift, necessarily gifted in a certain way. He's looking for people who are available. And upon those people, he says, here is my power. Here is my supernatural ability. Here is my supernatural power. And I'm gonna take the little that you have and the little that you bring, and I'm gonna use it supernaturally to achieve all that I have for you. If your dreams in God do not frighten you, I would question whether they're from God. If your dreams in God do not frighten you and overwhelm you, I would question whether they're from God. Because God does not put his dreams and his purposes upon us and expect us to do them in our own strength. Because what kind of a God is that? That's a God that can fit into the four, into the four kind of uh, corners or the four walls of my thinking and my mind and my ability. And my God is bigger than that. My God is bigger than anything that I can do. He supernaturally empowers us. So in Jesus, we overcome fear of past failure and of future disappointment. And in Jesus, we don't stand behind false humility. In Jesus, we, we hide in him and find strength for the future. The last thing I wanna look at before we end this morning is in Jesus, we must always remember first things. I'll explain what I mean. Let's look at verse 24 through to verse 26. This is a fascinating and at times utterly confusing few verses. I have to be honest. And I'm gonna give you my understanding of what is going on here, but it might differ with what your conviction is, but I'm gonna to trust to, to bring you what I believe that God is wanting to, us to learn from this passage. So, so Moses has progressively brought concern and, and worry and, and reason why he can't be used from God, and God has systematically dismantled each of Moses' uh, uh, areas of concern to the point where eventually Moses says, all right, Lord, I'm on board, I'm ready to go, and God says, great, I want you to go back to your father-in-law, I want you to 
be released from him, and then I want you to head back to Egypt. The plan of God is back on course. The deliverer has been spoken to, and he is full of faith to go into the promises of God. And then we encounter verse 24. At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Not Pharaoh. God was about to kill the deliverer that he had chosen. But Zipporah, which is his wife, who is his wife, took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. What on earth is going on? (laughs) Now, most of you are thinking, why on earth did you even mention this passage if you, I mean, this is one to avoid, surely, but but I think God wants to, I think God wants to teach us something from this. I really do. I think God wants to teach us something from this. We can't take this passage and say, like some people tend to do, oh, well, that's the Old Testament God. We're living in the New Testament. God is different today. I want to say that's not biblical, that's not sound biblical theology. The Bible teaches God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The other thing we can't do is we can't say, well, that's in the Old Testament, so that doesn't refer to us, or that doesn't have impact to us anymore. We're only reading the New Testament. And I want to say that is equally flawed, because the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians that all these things were written down for our instruction. And First Timothy, uh, Second Timothy three, all Scripture is God breathed, and is useful for teaching and training and rebuking and correcting, so that we can be ready to be used by God. So, how do we tackle this? How do we tackle a passage like this? Uh, I, I, I want to give you two quick things that I think this passage teaches us, but at the same time, I want to help you understand how you can tackle other passages which might be difficult and confusing. The first thing is this we always must understand there is a backstory which might not be included in the scriptures. God did not just on a whim because he's some petulant, angry, uh, immature God who was having a bad day, decided then to just wipe out Moses from his plan and start again. There is a backstory of God dealing with Moses, of God working on Moses' heart. The backstory is this. 40 years earlier, Moses had chosen to walk away from the people of God. 40 years earlier, Moses had turned back, turned his back on the faith family of God, the people, his own family, who were living by faith. And that faith family had been given one instruction, one command. There was one law, one law that separated the people of God from all the other people on the face of the earth. And it was this, fathers, circumcise your sons. And for whatever reason, as Moses had separated himself from his faith family, Moses had either forgotten that law or in defiance to God out of anger toward him, he had chosen not to obey God's law or to keep peace in his home. You see, his wife was not an Israelite. And perhaps it went down like this. As Moses got out the flint knife when the child was eight days old, his wife said, no ways are you touching my boy with that thing. And so Moses probably said, okay, for the sake of peace in the home, I'm just going to ignore the, prompt, the, the, the instruction from the Lord. They knew, friends, exactly what they had done. Because when the Lord arrived, they knew right away they needed to circumcise their son. The other 
tr- the other key to understanding this passage is this. We always have to interpret Scripture in the br- length and breadth of how we understand God to be from all of His Word. God is loving. God is merciful. God is patient. God has been taking time to deal with Moses on this. But God is also desiring our love expressed through obedience to his word. And that, by the way, is a New Testament verse, not an Old Testament verse. God desires our love to be expressed through obedience to his word. We must remember, friends, in the New Testament, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the other thing is God has given us the incredible gift of repentance. We mustn't be afraid of repentance. Repentance is not what religious people will tell you it is. Repentance is not woe is me. Repentance is not looking and trying to find things that are wrong with you because you think God is angry with you. Repentance is the Spirit of God revealing by His goodness and grace areas in our lives that we have fallen short of God's plan and purpose for or areas in our lives where we've messed up. And He gives us His Son, Jesus, to clothe us so we can come confidently into the presence of the Father to say, Father, I am sorry I messed up. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have thought that. Would you forgive me? And Lord, help me to to, to think in the way that you think about me. That's the beautiful gift of repentance. It is liberating. It is freeing. It leads us into victory and wholeness and freedom. And with that in mind, friends, I get to this last point that I'm making. God wants us not to forget first things, which is this, that we express our love for him through obedience. Some of you today might be here holding on to areas of known sin. Things that you know are contrary to God's will for your life. And by his grace, he is saying, let's deal with that. Let's cut that off. Let's move on into the future. Part of stepping into the future is closing the door on some of the past. Part of stepping into the future is closing the door on some of the past. It's closing the door of, of, uh, on the fear of, of failure from the past and the fear of possible future disappointment. It's closing the door on, on hiding behind false humility and saying, I'm not worthy to do what God has called me to do. It's not forgetting first things, which is loving God in intimate relationship And expressing that through obedience to his word and obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? We're going to close it right now. Look at verse 27. I love verse 27. Moses is raw. Moses is tender. God has been dealing with his heart. In verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness To meet Moses. Go and find Moses. 
And so he met Moses at the mountain of God and he kissed him. Aaron, the high priest, a picture of Jesus. See, friends, when we're at our most vulnerable, when we're at our most raw, when God is dealing with our hearts and we feel exposed and we don't know where to turn, you know who's there? Our high priest, Jesus. He's there to kiss us. He's there to hold us close. He's there to be intimate with us. He's there to comfort us. He's there to speak his word over us. He's there to reassure us that everything is going to be okay. He's there to put us back on track. There's no formula to dealing with things from the past, friends. I'm not going to stand up here and say, do these three things, hop through this hoop, say these uh, four prayers and you're fine and you're set free. No. What I'm telling you is freedom is found in Jesus. That's my one thing. If there's one thing you remember today, know that. Freedom is found in Jesus. You want to be free? Go to Jesus. Press into Jesus. Ask Jesus to come to you. Ask Jesus to break off the chains. Sharita shared a beautiful picture a couple weeks ago of the fact that Jesus is the one that breaks chains. God has an incredible future for every single person sitting in this room. And when I'm pointing my finger, it's not pointing in in any way other than hopefully to declare and release something of God's amazing prophetic future over every single person sitting in this room. God has an amazing future over church in the city, friends. And I want to say for us to walk into the fullness of what God has for you and for you and for you and for you and for us as a church, there are some things from our past that we need to allow God to deal with so that we are free to walk into the fullness of what he has for us. I want the fullness of the river of God to flow from his throne into my heart and I don't want there to be any sticks or stones or bitterness or hurts or resentment that is gonna block up the life of God to be able to flow through me to each of you and to the people that need it most, which is the people in our city. God is desperate to save people, friends. God is desperate to rescue Israel. God is desperate to rescue people in our city. But you know what? God is also desperate to set us free. God wants to set us free. God wants to liberate us. God wants to, God wants to break off chains off of us. God doesn't want us going around the same issue over and over again and preventing us from walking into his future. I honestly don't know what else to say. (laughs) Paul writes, I think it's in Philippians 3, forgetting the past, forgetting the past, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me for. God has taken hold of you for a time such as this. And the way we walk into that is we forget the past. Can I ask that we close our eyes this morning and let's allow God, we're gonna be another three to five minutes and then we're gonna be done. Let's allow God to do some business on our hearts.